Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of M365 Voice. I'm Antonio Mayo. I'm Sarah Hazi. And I am Mike Monadani. And we've got another great episode for you. Today, we're going to talk about um, a topic that often um, we think about when we uh, are looking at governing our content on our environment in M365 or complying with regulations or even sometimes securing our content. And that's certifying that the right people have access to content in your um, M365 environment. Sometimes we refer to that as certifications, sometimes we refer to it as attestations or reattestations, but essentially it's the idea that um, on some sort of regular basis, let's say once a year, twice a year, the people that own content or own repositories of content need to certify that the right people have access to that content. And if they don't have access, if the right people don't have access, they need to let you know the people that control access um, know the changes that need to be made, or they need to go make change themselves. So I know some of us have different experiences with this kind of technology. Um, uh, myself, I've, I've worked with uh, customers to help design and build these kinds of processes. But uh, Mike and Sarah, how about you guys? What have you seen in this area? I've had experience implementing this for a couple of different organizations, and I, I found my experiences are highly specific to the requirements, um, whether they be compliance, security requirements for the different companies, definitely very different experiences in different verticals and markets and industries. Yeah, I am uh, don't have that many experiences in that because uh, every project I've worked on, whether it's a migration or uh, stand up new uh, tenant. Uh, all the clients that were happy with the initial request to the, or the initial attestation of agreeing to the terms and conditions and did not have the requirement to go back and revisit the content or revisit the permissions associated with the content. Right. And so where I saw this, where I've seen this kind of technology start was in um, originally in on-prem SharePoint and in network file shares as well, where um, you know we'll we'll give certain individuals access to um, a SharePoint site or a SharePoint site collection and uh, a network file share perhaps. And over time, the people that get access to those repositories changes. We add more people that need access to do their jobs. People sometimes change roles and sometimes their access is removed, but often it's not removed. So what's what's come out of this is often, uh, and I've seen it in two industries, um, often a process, kind of a standard corporate or enterprise process, where um, owners for different repositories are identified. And usually an inventory of the owners is kept, and that's something that needs to be kept up to date. Um, and then on some sort of periodic basis, so once a year or twice a year, usually, the owners need to validate that um, the permissions or the access that's currently granted to those repositories is still accurate, right? That we've kept it up to date, that you're staying on top of permissions, that the right people have access. And if people no longer need access, you remove access. So it's, I find it a, a good reminder for people, a good way of staying on top of permissions so that, you know, things don't over time get shared too broadly. Um, I've seen it in two industries, mainly in the financial services industry. So I've seen it typically there, um, but I've also seen it in the, um, the utility industry as well. So with an electricity provider um, overseas. 
Um, and it's interesting to see these processes because one of the hardest things I've found is identifying owners, right? Because you need someone to certify or validate or attest to those permissions. That's actually, I was actually going to say that, Antonio, because I think having the attestation completed is important. But uh, I think for many organizations, having a current list of owners for um, and and there is a granularity level choice here, whether we're talking about Teams, SharePoint sites, all Office 365 groups or Microsoft 365 groups. But I think having a valid list of owners that gets updated semi-annually, annually, I've heard of companies that have to do it quarterly, but just having a list of owners uh, is critically important. And it's actually, from what I've seen, one of the biggest benefits you get out of running a formal certification process on a regular basis yeah it is it is a good good uh point that you're making here because doing migrations from old system into shape and online i run across this issue all the time uh, do we have the current list of owners mm -hmm. we've done it a few migrations where we send out this email to all the owners what we thought they are the owners and they're no longer the owners so you you stay in this limbo do we migrate this kind of content into SharePoint Online or not? Because we don't have, we don't know if that content is being used, even though evidence, we, we know that it hasn't been touched in a while, but is it really needed or not? Mm -hmm. And I think when we're talking about owners here, like I don't, we're not talking, at least I'm not talking about, I don't want to speak for you both, but I'm not talking about like M365 group owners. I'm talking about data owners. So the people that own the data, which usually has certain, um, responsibilities that come with it, right? I usually think of three responsibilities. One, they understand the regulatory compliance obligations of that data. Two, they approve permission requests to that data. So when someone needs access, there's someone that approves the access. Um, and three, they're responsible for that permission review or attestation and remediation process annually or semi-annually or quarterly. Um, now, that first responsibility, understanding the regulatory compliance obligations, that usually elevates the role to, you know, a director or a business leader, um, someone that's likely not going to work very tactically of approving a permission request. So I find that they will often delegate those other two um, responsibilities to perhaps an EA or someone else on their team um, to deal with those things. But that's kind of been my experience with owners. So not M365 group owners, but true data that's owners. That's interesting. I haven't had that level of experience, um, or I haven't had quite that experience. It's usually more granular. The person, let's take SharePoint, for example, the person who has full control access, who's actually granting access to a SharePoint site, would be the person who's completing that certification, has been my experience. It's usually one in the same, um, because those are the people that are identified as the owners. But I think it's important from a company perspective to define your requirements, right? Do you need to certify and recertify? How often? What do you call an owner? Defining all of these terminologies in terms of the risk uh, and controls for your company is going to be so critically important. So I want to go back to your point, Antonio. Uh, just a little, I'm going to get a little bit technical there. Sure. So does it mean that you maintain a master list? who is the owner of that data governance yes. and that list gets updated often because if that person is not an actual technical m365 group owner you need to find out who that is you got to store their name somewhere exactly 
Um, and uh, in the organizations where we've done this, again, the, the, the data owner, the person who's actually responsible for the information. So if the information leaks, if they um, do not comply with the regulations that are important, they're responsible for that. Right. That's usually not a very tactical, granular person. So that's that's how how we refer to a data owner, um, someone who has true ownership in the organization for the data. Um, and usually it is kept in a separate database, um, not a SharePoint list, because at least not for our customers, because it's really easy to get beyond, you know, the 5000 list view threshold, which, yes, you can get around the list view threshold now. But, you know, Power Automate workflow is still um, are, are restricted to that. Um, so we usually store it in a separate database, essentially a master um, uh, data owner database, if you will. Um, and that often, you know, sometimes that overlaps with your information, your enterprise information um, strategy as well. Like if you've got, if you've got like a master data plan that you use for your organization, it's sometimes part of that. Um, but yes, we keep a separate database of data owners. Okay, so at the time, so we've done this, we've created this governance model, and it's time to recertify re and reattest. Typically, what is the process in, to do this, and how how do you come around making sure it's still valid? Well, I think that that depends. I've seen it implemented many different ways at many different organizations, based again on the particular legal uh, and legal requirements, um, their risk outlook, uh, and what they deem to be important in terms of a recertification. But I always think it's important that you need to make sure that you're working with your risk, your information security, uh, and your compliance teams to be able to define what those requirements look like. Because even trying to define what an access review or what a um, certification means could be completely different depending on who you're talking to. So in every case that I've seen, um, it is an IT making those decisions about what meets, what is the rubric or the standard. It's IT implementing a methodology to meet the standard as set by security or compliance or risk. That, that's a really good point actually, to work with your risk and your um, your legal teams to help make those decisions about what qualifies for this type of review. We used to, for example, like the first time I implemented such a system was back in 2015. And we did this using a third party tool, a really large, big third party tool um, that we implemented. And we kind of took the approach of every SharePoint site, every network file share had to have owners, which that part makes sense. But then all of them had to go through this um, a permission review and attestation um, every six months. What we have started to do, or what I've started to think about is, you know, perhaps not every site needs to go through this, right? So what we've started to do is base the sites that do need to go through this process on a sensitivity label that's assigned to the site. So if you've got sites that are, are labeled as containing sensitive data or confidential data, perhaps they are more um, uh, they have more of a requirement of going through this type of process. So, you know, that whether you do that or not, it's going to depend on the organization. But I do think the concept is interesting of using that label on sites and teams to help define which ones need to go through this kind of process. And I think that takes you to how do you complete this process in a way 
that's that's achievable for organizations because I think it can be overwhelming to think about how to run this kind of a process. Um, an automated process is always going to be better. Some organizations have the ability to invest in third-party solutions to help make this better. Although, frankly, I've never seen one that is just a plug and play. It is no. still months and months and months worth of effort to configure, even if you've purchased an expensive tool set to make it happen. Absolutely. Um, I've also seen companies custom develop code to be able to do things. Um, for example, being able to crawl through SharePoint sites, create, um, a report of the permissions uh, down to who has access to what for a given SharePoint site, spit it out into an attachment that can then be sent to the site owners to evaluate. Um, and I've also seen it completely built and automated within Microsoft 365 itself using workflows and form capabilities. And I think, but no matter how I've seen it done, it has always been a large investment of time, effort, and energy, and technology to be able to try and make that as automated and as efficient as possible. Absolutely. I, I don't think this kind of process happens on a regular basis without automation, right? Because it's just, it's if you're trying to do it manually, it's a monumental amount of effort. And you might do it once, but then to do it every year or on the regular cadence that it really demands is not gonna happen. So yeah, automation absolutely needs to be part of it. I also think that you have to make sure that, you know, the ones that are automating it, the people that are automated are typically IT or a DevOps group, right? And the process is typically owned by security or risk. What I would say is that it's not enough to simply automate it and then let the process run and then expect the data owners to simply respond and, um, have the process take care of itself. I do think it needs to be a partnership between security, risk, and the data owners, because your data owners, they have a full-time job already, right? And they're gonna receive this report and they're gonna be asked to review it and you know reply back that everything is fine. Um, they are often going to need help with um, adjusting permissions or adjusting access and you know IT, needs to be there to support them in that process or it's just not going to happen so you can't hand it over just to the data owners to do everything i don't think it can be um 100 automated um, like i think you can automate the process but i think to get data owners to really take responsibility and do it they're going to need support um, in completing that i i read and that's just at least in my experience not doing the recertification but at least trying to get the owners to assess their security and content on their own without extra help. Uh, I would say success rate was no more than 20% in my cases, uh, yeah. just because, like you said, if they have they have a day job. Uh, and then, yes, they do have a SharePoint or a team that they store content, but it's not something they deal with it on a daily basis. So they put it on the side and they say they're going to get back to it and they never do. And you have to decide what level, if any, of enforcement that you need to have to complete it. And again, this should be driven by your regulatory and security requirements that are in place. Um, I've seen it. Uh, I've seen it done where it's somebody's job to follow up, follow up, follow up continually until they get to a 90% or a 95% success rate 
I've also seen it where action is taken, where if something isn't attested to, it gets deleted automatically. Um, you're not going to complete it, then you know you're you're out of luck. Um, but again, I think that that needs to be driven by very specific policies, and you have to pay attention to your company culture and what kind of expectations that you have for your users. And I think that's very important. And you also have to consider, I think, the high touch nature of this work. I think it's very easy to think that things can be done very efficiently, but no matter as SharePoint practitioners, right, we understand that so much of what we do, whether it's migrations, certifications, site design and build out, permissioning of sites, it's very high touch yeah. to work with users to help them understand what those questions are. So in both of your experiences, what was the, so you've done the process, we've agreed on the compliance, we've talked to legal, we've talked to the data governance owners from an IT perspective. So we do have that in an agreement and we have a process in place. And then we send out those notifications that you have to decertify your content, your group or whatever. And someone doesn't reply back. What's typically in your experiences, what, what, what do we do? Do we just, remove that access, delete that content. Deleting content has always been really sensitive because typically I just ignore, ignore, ignore. And then the minute I don't see my content, I forget. Um, I think that should not be up to the IT owners um, or the SharePoint or Microsoft 365 owners. That should be defined by security. Um, what's the policy? What does good look like and what is good enough? Um, and I've seen it at some companies where a response rate of a certain percentage, an 80% response rate is considered successful. Um, I've seen other companies where they say um, it must be 100% or direct action will be taken and maybe something will be locked uh, and made unavailable until it's attested to. So I think it, that should be a decision driven by legal and security needs, not by whoever owns Microsoft 365. Um, it, it should be driven by requirements. I, I completely agree. Um, in the financial services organizations where I've seen this implemented, um, you know, reminders are absolutely sent, right? Because people are going to forget, people are going to put it off. Um, you send a reminder, you send another reminder, you send another reminder. Um, at some point, I've seen the access get cut off. Everyone essentially loses access. And if you do that, if you lose, the, if you remove that access in an automated way, um, you know, speaking tactically for a second. You do need to record who are all the people that have had access because at some point right. someone's going to scream and when they do well then you get them to a test and then you you will have to re um uh, configure all that access again so you want to include that as right. part of your automation right so if you're going to cut off access after a certain period of time after a certain number of reminders record who had access remove all the access and then when you want to reinstate it make it easy for yourself to reinstate it but yes, and the reason I've seen access cut off is I usually see this happen. I see this process in place because the organization got in trouble with the SCC, right? The SCC came in and audited them and gave them a finding that you're not managing access to non-public information well. <clears throat> and that forces their hand. It's like, okay, we have to do something. Um, so they, you know, that tends to be the, I'll say the middle ground between doing nothing and deleting the content. It's we're going to cut off your access, and then when you scream, you're going to reattest, and then we'll put back access. But you need to make sure too that you have a method for people to scream, uh, and that you have appropriate staff and processes to be able to handle that. 
Um, and again, that could be a manual process, could be a fully automated process, but you need a, a methodology for being able to handle that. Um, I am a believer that if you're going to have a governance process or a certification process, if you have no teeth in that process whatsoever, um, I'm a believer that I'm not sure that then you're really governing or certifying anything. If it's completely optional, why would, I mean, you might get a small percentage of people that complete it, but then, you know, what you're getting, it might not be worth much, worth much or worth getting. Um, so I think you do need to figure out the teeth, but again, company culture, legal requirements, uh, security requirements should be the drivers there. Agreed. Exactly. The other, the other end of this too, is when people do certify, you should be keeping some sort of evidence that they certified. Yeah. One of the reasons I've seen for that is a, well, two reasons I've seen. One is when you do get audited, you need to be able to usually present that evidence. Correct. Right? If this process happened, that people certified, that you got a good enough rate of certification to Sarah's point. Um, reason number two is if sensitive data does leak and it becomes a very big deal in the organization, we're going to go to that evidence and see if the permissions were reviewed and certified. And if they weren't, well, then there may be an issue, right? But that's going to be one of the pieces of data that we use to determine what the root cause of that leak was. So that's the other reason for keeping evidence. And, and the evidence I've seen often in the form of when someone does receive, let's say, an email or uh, a notification that they have to do the certification process, their reply in the form of an email or maybe in the form of a database entry um, is usually that evidence that's kept. So just want to take it to the very last end. Uh, what happens is you get no, no response back. Never. You get a notification, you send out notifications, no one has reattested to that content. And then you have removed the access and no one's cleaned. It's still sitting there in silo it still has content that are needed for the organizations or for someone at some point in the next maybe three, four years, five years from now, that someone will gonna look up that information. Legally, you need to keep it. So you just keep it that way or like what's what's your experience? Say, that's the question of if you need to legally keep it. Um, if, if you've gone through all of those steps, if nobody's come forward to claim it, is it um, valid to purge? or to lock down or to otherwise um, segregate that data and not keep it live anymore. And I think that once again comes down to your legal requirements of what you have to meet for your organization. But that sounds like a great cleanup opportunity to me to at least evaluate and explore. Um, if no one cares, no one cares, um, does legal care about that data? Agreed. Well, I would say if if that data does need to be kept around for several years, um, as you suggested, well, then you'll you'll want to also see if, you know, is it a corporate record? Are we managing it as a record? Is it part of our retention schedule? Mm -hmm. Is it because if there's a retention policy on it, well, it's going to stay there and you're legally obligated to keep it for some X number of years. And yes, it just sits there. But if it's past its retention period, if it does not fall into our record retention schedule, to Sarah's point, it's a great cleanup opportunity after some, um, what do you call it, um, statute of limitations. Right. Or maybe it's an opportunity to say, hey, there's no owner who who is responding and cares about this data, but maybe then it goes into a separate 
uh, reporting structure where you need to find a suitable owner, right? So that could be a separate shoot uh, where some of these items go. But that again tells you something that you didn't know before. Uh, orphan data is a problem that many of us have experienced for years and years from a SharePoint and a Microsoft 365 perspective. So this that's one of the possible successful outcomes would be to identify data that has been orphaned so that you can find an appropriate owner. Exactly. Well, that was a great topic. Um, thanks to you both for talking about it. It kind of, uh, um, it's an interesting thing that we see often in large organizations to have to attest or reattest that the right people have access to content uh, and to, um, you know, the, the entire process that you go through with that. So. Thanks to you both, and thanks to everyone for joining us today. Thank you. Bye -bye.